Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. A few weeks ago, I began a series on the armor of God, and I felt led the following week because of something that happened in the prayer meeting the next day to ask mom to fill the pulpit uh, the following Sunday. And so she brought us a great message on uh, boldness and miracles. And then last week, Neil and Danette Childs were here, and how wonderful was that, right? Who are you? That's right. Uh, And today, I'm returning to the armor of God, and since it's been a few weeks, let's read the relevant passage again. We probably will do this every week we're in this series, but Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And we spent the first message looking at the belt of truth. That wasn't the whole message because there were some important introductory remarks about the devil, about spiritual warfare. Uh, But the only piece of armor we got to was the belt of truth. And I encourage you to find that message and listen to it. And uh, toward the end of that, I took a little bit of a turn to address some lies that society is foisting upon us. And certainly we need to take a stand on such things, but we ought to also remember from this passage that uh, society is not our enemy. Government is not our enemy. Sinners are not our enemy. We are to take up and put on this armor to fight against spiritual darkness, principalities and powers of the very air against the devil and his plans. But when we started talking about truth, We agreed, I think we agreed, nobody vocally disagreed, that you don't combat truth by screaming, you don't combat lies by screaming that's a lie. You don't combat lies by rebuking lies, you combat lies with the truth, okay? So when the lies of the devil become manifest in the form of new social norms or even laws, Uh, The right approach, and I know this is broad, but the right approach is to continue speaking truth and living the truth. And there is a place, obviously, for social action. There's a place for uh, efforts in the halls of government, elections, and so forth. But fundamentally, our game plan is simply to introduce people to Jesus. And when enough people know Jesus, society changes as a result. Please, please remember that. Yes, God has promised to bless us. Jesus promised us what? Life and life more abundantly. Abundant life. 
But let God do that for you. Our job is not to secure our abundance and ease, but to be ambassadors of the kingdom of God, to be ministers of reconciliation. Okay? Let me say a couple more things about truth before we move on to the breastplate of righteousness. But the things I'm going to say about truth really have less to do with society's ills and more to do with our mission, the great commission. And I've got to be careful here because I could easily go off track. Uh, I, could, I could chase this a number of ways because it's such an enormous uh, piece of truth. But uh, I want to stay on track and teach about the armor. And I guess the point I really want to make is this, that the, the Word of God certainly does address how we live. It talks about right and wrong, good and evil. But the central truth of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The central truth of the Old and New Testament is Jesus Christ. Not just a code, not a law, not a recommended way of living. And as strange as it may sound, and surely you've encountered this, there are people who claim to admire and even claim to follow Jesus, but have no regard for the Bible, no regard for the church, and uh, have frankly reinvented Jesus, turned him into somebody other than the Christ of the Bible. And it's silly. I know we've talked about this before, but it's super important. On one hand, uh, it's interesting to uh, read passages from the historian uh, Josephus, who mentions Jesus. And he, this is a Jewish secular historian. He wasn't one of the Bible authors, obviously, but he reports uh, a little bit about Jesus. But other than that, and maybe one or two others, I honestly can't think of one offhand, there are, there's very little reference to the man, Jesus Christ, outside of the Bible. What's interesting is that despite that, even your most hardened skeptics, it's a very, very small minority of even hardened skeptics and atheists who, who actually don't believe Jesus existed. Practically everybody knows he really existed. What people argue is, well, who was he really? Uh, and uh, what did he actually do? Was he who he claimed to be? But it's interesting that nobody argues that he exists, but practically every bit of information we have about him is from the Bible. Only the Bible, for all intents and purposes, talks about Jesus Christ, and yet everybody accepts that he lives. So it seems silly to me to argue about what kind of person he was outside of what the Bible says. The Bible is our only frame of reference, our only source of information about Jesus, so it seems silly to try to reinvent him as something else. Well, the Jesus that I love wouldn't have said this about sin. The Jesus that I love wouldn't talk about blood and death and things like that. The only Jesus we have is the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, and there are a couple of bedrock truths that we as confession, uh, confessing Christians must cling to. And one is this, the Bible is the Word of God. And the only Jesus worth knowing is the Jesus of the Bible. Now you know how much I love apologetics, defending Christianity, defending scriptures. Uh, but uh, whether you love apologetics or it's not your bag, don't ever be ashamed or afraid to say that you believe the Bible just because you can't explain everything about it. You understand? If you want, it's, it's a pretty, 
I grew up in a time, I know many of you did too, where practically everybody claimed to believe the Bible. Everybody in America, everybody in my small sphere of influence. We, I grew up in a, in a, at least a nominal Christian society. Uh, the norm was to go to church on Sundays. And practically everybody claimed to believe the Bible. Now, it's sad, and we've talked about this many, many times. I'm not going to go there again. How many people even still claim to believe the Bible but have no idea what it says? We, we can't claim we believe it if we don't even know it. Uh, but now to say, do you, somebody says, do you believe the Bible is the Word of God, the inspired Word of God? For you to answer yes is a pretty bold statement in today's society. There are people who will recommend certain passages of the Bible because, of its, uh, it, it, because it sounds like beautiful poetry or because there's some, some obviously clear wisdom in it. But there's a big leap from that to believing that it is actually uh, the Word of God. And if we are going to be effective and real Christians, we have to be, we have to number ourselves among those that believe the Bible is the Word of God and that God is fully re most fully revealed in the written Word of God and in the man Jesus Christ. Uh, and we talked uh, on Memorial Day about the, the awesome price people have paid because of that belief. They're so convinced that it is. Uh, the Word of God that they want to get into as many hands as possible. Now, to say we believe it is a bold statement, and if we say it loud enough and we say it consistently enough, sooner or later people will challenge us on it. Well, what about this? And sooner or later, probably, somebody's going to throw a passage at you if they're interested in talking about it at all that you can't explain. Well, if God really is love, then why did he kill everybody in this village before they had a chance to repent and come to know him? There's an answer to that question. And if you don't know it, guess what it's okay to say? I don't know. But I would always say this, I don't know how to answer you yet. If they really want to know, say so you'll get back to them. We live in a wonderful time where if you have a question, the easiest thing in the world to do is to research it. Now, we also live at a time where it's easier than ever to come up against arguments against your faith. But when you hear one statement come from somebody that, that flummoxes you, oh my goodness, I never thought about that, don't throw your faith away. Look at it from the other perspective. Seek the answer. Don't throw away a thousand things you know because of one thing you don't know, or even two things you don't know. Don't be afraid of engaging people uh, who disagree with you just because you don't have all the answers. Uh, but I've seen it happen again and again. People have staked their whole unbelief on one or two difficult passages of Scripture. Or they take just one story from the Bible that seems too hard to believe, and they retreat to the conclusion, that, well, the Bible is probably just symbolic. It's an artistic way of uh, expressing uh, some important truths, but it's not God's word, at least not all of it. We must be committed to the truth that it is indeed God's word, all of it. Billy Graham, he used to, uh, a, a column by Billy Graham used to appear in the paper at least weekly. And there might have been a daily version of it for a while, but it was just ask Dr. Graham or ask Billy Graham. And people would write to Billy Graham, uh, dear, dear uh, Reverend Graham, Blah, blah, blah. And they'd ask a question. And it's usually something <laughs> pretty straightforward, you know. <laughs> I used to joke. Uh, Zig Ziglar's nephew was in the program that, uh, that I was uh, leading down at Canaan Land in Alabama. And he would laugh at these columns and he'd make up, make up questions for Dr. Graham. Uh, you know, Dr. Graham, I think I'm in love with my dog. Is that wrong? 
uh, something like that. And then Billy Graham would, no matter how silly the question was, he would treat the question respectfully, but he always started the answer with, the Bible says. The Bible says. And somebody asked him at one point, did he believe that Jonah was really swallowed by a whale? And his answer was, the Bible says that the whale swallowed Jonah. So I believe the whale swallowed Jonah. If the Bible said it, I would even believe that Jonah swallowed the whale. Tozer, A.W. Tozer, put it this way. He said, give me Genesis 1-1, and the rest of the Bible poses no problem for me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if he can speak everything that is into existence, he can certainly arrange for a man to be swallowed by a whale, to survive inside that whale, and to be vomited up at precisely the right time and the right place to continue the mission. That's easy after creating the universe with the words of your mouth. And again, if you struggle with a difficult passage, research it. Ask people that you know and trust. Sort it out. It's worth that. But as, while we should, we should be getting better and better at knowing the Bible and better and better at explaining and sharing the Bible with people who might not know it or believe it yet. We should be getting better at that. We should be getting bolder at that and answering their questions but we also, again, can't stress it enough. Don't be afraid to say, I don't know how to answer that yet. I read a great testimony uh, just the other day on a Christian music site where a guy was uh, telling about when he was in college, he was an atheist. I'd say he was a militant atheist, but he was a pretty staunch atheist. And he was talking about the time where Christian friends of his invited him to go to a concert, a DeGarmo and Key concert. I don't know how many of you remember DeGarmo and Key. Uh, Eddie DeGarmo and Dana Key, and uh, he said, no, I ain't going to go to no stinking Christian concert, so they all piled in the car and left, and then he got into another car and went anyway. He just didn't want them to know he was going, so he sort of snuck into this concert, enjoyed the music, and then afterward actually walked up on stage and started talking to the band. You could actually do this back then. Jeff, do you remember when we were at the Russ Taft concert over in Danville, and we got up and we were helping them put their drums away, we're trying to get Russ Taft to come out and eat pizza with us, and, but just chatting. Uh, you could do this uh, back in the day. And so he got up there and started talking with Dana Key. And, uh, he, he, and he's got his arguments. You know, Dana Key's just wrapping up his microphone cables and stuff. And so he throws some, what he called this blistering question that nobody had ever been able to answer. I'm just going gonna to trip you up. You know, the Bible says this, blah, 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 blah. But if that were true, blah, 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 blah. And Dana said, that's a good point. Hadn't thought about it that way. All I can tell you is I've met Jesus and he's real continues to put his stuff away. And the guy says, well, what about this? And he throws some other sophisticated question slash argument at him. And Dana Key just smiled and says, hey, you got me there. I don't know how to answer that. All I can tell you is I've met Jesus and he's real. And he continued that way for several minutes and the guy got saved. And he's still saved. <laughs> now that doesn't always work. But and that, that approach particularly does not work if you really don't know Jesus. You are not going to get somebody saved by saying, you should become a Christian, my friend, because my other friend met him and tells me he's real. It's kind of like what, what the, the story, remember the uh, sons of Sceva that Neil was talking about last week, you know, the man's possessed by all these demons and they see Paul casting the demons out. We adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. Yeah, we know who Paul is. We know who Jesus is. But 
Who are you? So when we talk about truth, the belt of truth that binds us, that girds us about, we are talking about biblical truth, and most importantly, we are talking about the truth as in Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth, ultimately, that everything hangs on. He is real. He is truth. Now, the second item mentioned in this passage is pretty straightforward, which is why the rest of this sermon is pretty straightforward and pretty short. The, the second item is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate covers what? What important part of your body? The heart. The heart. You know, if you're, if you're going to shoot to kill, center mass. Go for the chest or go for the head. Go for the heart or go for the head. And the enemy is shooting to kill. Right? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So he's going for the heart, believe me. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, we read this. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Nothing, listen to me friends, nothing will render you ineffective in battle faster than a spirit of condemnation. Nothing weakens a believer, nothing weakens a church faster or more effectively than laboring under the lie that we are not worthy. The enemy works hard at accusing us, stirring up doubt about our very salvation, and even if we cling, as we should, to the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross for our salvation, we can certainly be fooled into believing that that's all there is for us. Our prayers go unanswered because we don't expect them to be answered because we know that we're not righteous. Now, I love, as most of you know, reading the book of Deuteronomy because it lists and uh, it lists all these promises of blessing. If you will do this, you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the country, blessed coming, blessed going. Your vats will always be full. Your fields will always be productive, etc., etc. It spells out these blessings, but those blessings are for who? They are for the righteous. And if the devil can keep us from believing we are righteous, we will not pray fervently. We will not claim the blessings. We will not pray with any expectation of seeing our prayers answered. And this is what John was writing about up here. This is why, I am convinced, this is why Jesus said what he said when he healed the paralyzed man, the one that was lowered down through the roof because it was too crowded. His friends brought him to Jesus to be healed. They couldn't get to him through the door, so they took him on the roof, removed some tiles, lowered him, and Jesus and everybody knew. Why did they bring this guy here? They knew that Jesus, they had heard at least that Jesus healed people. So they're watching, waiting to see if he's going to heal him. And Jesus takes him by the hand and says, what? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now this was a shock. And you know, the religious leaders are like, what? What's he talking about? Who but God can forgive sins? And Jesus says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. But so that you know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he looks at the man again and says, arise, take up your pallet and go, and go your way. And the man stood up and walked. 
carried the very bed they brought him in on. Now, he was definitely showing a theological truth that he had the authority to forgive sins. But let me tell you what I am utterly convinced of. There's always faith involved when Jesus healed somebody. Their faith was always involved. And when he took this man's hand, I believe that what was keeping this man, the, the, the thing that threatened to keep him from being healed was his sense of guilt. His heart was condemning him. So this is the first thing that Jesus dealt with. Your sin isn't going to keep you from being healed, son, because your sins are forgiven. In James chapter 5, beginning in 14, it says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. Now, does that mean that you have to have hands laid on you and be prayed over and anointed with oil to have your sins forgiven? No, that is in there for the exact same reason. Yes, the ministry of laying on of hands, anointing with oil, prayer of faith will save the sick. And your sins aren't going to keep you from getting healed because why? Your sins are forgiven. God is not holding that against you and he's not withholding the blessing. How can we know this? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right back to what Neil was talking about last week. Who are you? Devil, who are you to think you can pray to God? Don't you know that God knows all about your unrighteous heart? Us, responding to the devil. We say, my righteousness is not my own. I am righteous in him. And this breastplate protects my heart from those deadly accusations. That breastplate that does protect, protect my heart is the very righteousness of God. It's not mine. And it's the same with all of the armor. This is stuff that doesn't come from us. It's stuff that God gives us and we put it on. Our righteous, this breastplate of righteousness, this isn't righteousness that we generate out of our own heart. It's a new heart that he gives us. And the righteousness is a positional righteousness, a legal righteousness that God can declare over us and make real because he has placed us in Christ. It's one of the most, it, it's an enormous and powerful truth and one of the hardest to get our heads around, but it is clearly, biblically true that when we come to God, the Father, the righteous, holy God, we come before him in the name of Jesus. He doesn't see us, he sees Jesus. When we pray in the name of Jesus, it is a perfectly righteous man who is praying. If it were up to us. Now, there is a component to this. Don't get me wrong. And we'll talk about this later. I want to get moving. I want to wrap this up here in just a second. But the reason the devil has such an easy time condemning us, or making us feel condemned, rather, he can't condemn us. But the reason he, he can get us to, to kind of wallow in this sense of condemnation is because we are so aware of how frail we are and how we've blown it. We give him a foothold because we don't take our righteousness and our holiness seriously enough. If we took our righteousness seriously, and what, all, what I mean by that is he's given us righteousness as a gift. 
we are supposed to respond to that gift by walking it out more and more perfectly as we get older in the Lord. We should be doing this because we love God and honor him. The trick, as we've talked about many times, is you know, that tension that's created there is the more, we tend, the more we walk in that, the more perfectly walk in that, the greater the danger is that we think we're doing it on our own. It's always a gift from God. Our righteousness is always only the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, uh, why don't you, in fact, praise and worship team, why don't you come on up here. The devil is aiming for the heart. He wants to kill you. If he can't kill you, what's he want to do? Render you ineffective. And in the, in the context of where we're going with that, rendering you ineffective means that you don't pray or you don't pray in faith. It means you don't share the gospel or you don't share it effectively. That everything you do or try to do for God, you have zero expectation of it pleasing God or having any effect on anybody else for the glorification of his kingdom. So if he can't kill you, he wants to take you out of the fight in other ways. And he's aiming for the heart. Where he wants to attack you is by condemning you, getting you wrapped up in a sense of condemnation about your sin and what defends us? That breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? God's righteousness. I'm going to give you my own righteousness to defend against these attacks on your heart. Don't allow yourself to feel condemned because, my son, your sins are forgiven. Stand up with me. Christians, let me speak to you first. If you are born again, if you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you need to stand on this truth, embrace this truth, and speak this truth. Whenever and it's easy because if you know what you've done, if you're aware of a sin, whether it's a secret sin or whether it's not, not a secret but just something that, that you just remember, it's so easy to just, the only thing you can pray is, oh God, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, please forgive me, please forgive me. And God's like, I've forgiven you. That was taken care of at the cross. It's time to get out there and start praying like a righteous man a righteous woman with an expectation, not because you deserve it, but because you are entitled to it. He's the one who has given you that title, that entitlement. So start seeing yourself as righteous because I promise you, if you are in Christ, God sees you as righteous. To that man, woman, boy or girl in this room today, if you have not personally yet committed your life to Christ, if you're trying to get better before you take that dive, you are spinning your wheels, you are wasting your time. You can't get there on your own. Well, I'll become a Christian when I'm a better man. I'll become a Christian when I'm more righteous, when I'm more holy. No, you will become more righteous and holy when you surrender to Jesus Christ. Saw a great picture the other day. And it says uh, what's, what some people think Christianity is, and there's this kid with an angry face holding a Bible saying, you follow these rules or I'll send you to hell. And what Christianity really is, and it shows Jesus washing a disciple's feet saying, you can't keep all these rules, so just trust me. The rules are there for a reason. But if you think you can follow them without the Holy Spirit, without the new birth, again, you're wasting your time. Don't waste another day. And maybe there's other reasons you're waiting. It's like, well, it's not that I've tried to get better. It's just that I'm not sure I want to give up the things I, 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 that I'd have to give up if I become a Christian. Brother, 
or soon-to-be brother, there is nothing worth waiting for. There is nothing worth sacrificing your salvation for. There is nothing, nothing better than him. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Is there anybody in here today who says, it's my day of reconciliation? It's my day of reconciliation. I desire to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I can't do it on my own. I do not want to go through life one more day unsaved. I need the new birth. I need Jesus in my life. Anybody, just by showing of the hand, that's me today, Pastor Scott, pray for me to receive Jesus. Anybody? Praise the Lord. I hope that's because I'm, I don't see a hand. I hope that's because I'm looking, for, uh, looking at a room full of believers. If that's not you and you just weren't ready to pull the trigger, Talk to me before you leave. Let's see what's, let's see what's holding you back. Uh, meanwhile, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for all the armor, but today, Lord God, we especially thank you for that breastplate of righteousness that protects our heart. We declare in agreement with your word that we are righteous, that we are righteous because Jesus has made us righteous. We are clothed with the very righteousness of God because we are in Christ. Help us to remember that every single day. Help us to walk in that reality. And Father, help us to walk in the righteousness with which you have clothed us for your glory. And I pray now, Lord God, if there is anybody in the sound of my voice, anybody who's hearing this message who has not truly surrendered their life to you and accepted that free gift of salvation, that you would cause them to know, number one, that they need you and grant them the humility and the boldness to take that step today to call on you as Lord and receive you as Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. One more time before we close, anybody desire to be born again today. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.